morning and Jeremy talking about our counseling center, what a great thing that is already and what it's going to be and I pray that you will be a part of it in some way or another, maybe going there for assistance or sending other folks there for assistance. But you know there are many churches these days that seem to be kind of retreating, kind of going backwards in some ways. They're shrinking back because we realize culture's changing. We know things in our country are changing. But let me just say the Memorial Congregation is not going to shrink back. The Memorial Congregation is going forward even more so than we have in the past because we want people to know the love of God in so many different ways. And so I'm so thankful for that. Also thankful that that we have 31, I believe it is, youth and sponsors that are gone today on a retreat, and what a great thing that is for them. I know it's great for the parents as well, but we pray that they come back stronger and closer to Jesus than they were when they left. Now, every year, or, or I say every year, and it really only happens every two or three years, but I go away and I work on sermons, and I'm blessed to go to some different place and think about things in a different way, and this year I had a blessing to be in, uh, in, in the Boston area for a while. That is Boston, Massachusetts, not Texas. And so that was a lot of fun. And so for the next few weeks we're talking about thoughts in New England. And I say thoughts in New England because these are things that I was thinking about when I was there. And just letting my mind open and thinking about sermons and God's presence and what God is doing in the world. And so today we're talking about lighthouses, or the lighthouse. And because I spent much of my life growing up in the Texas panhandle in western Oklahoma, let me say lighthouses are kind of fascinating because we didn't have any. And so I'm kind of interested by them. This one is one known as, as Nauset, I guess is how you would say it. No one told me how to pronounce it. And Barbara and I were on Cape Cod, and we were driving in and out, and she was, she was driving, and I was navigating, and I would say, turn right, turn left, turn right, turn left. And we were on all these little side roads. Some were paved, some were dirt. Just going from place to place, we ran across this one. I did not know until we came home that this is considered the, 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 the poster lighthouse for Cape Cod. Matter of fact, if you buy those chips called, called Cape Cod kettle chips, this is the lighthouse that's on the bag. Now, I know everybody will run out and buy them right now. You don't have to buy them. Just go down the chip aisle and notice that this is the one. I had to be careful where I took this picture because they were painting it on the other side so I didn't get to get everything I wanted. But a lighthouse is so important because, as you know, and these things are very simple here in the beginning, a lighthouse points the way in the dark. Well, isn't that the purpose of a lighthouse, right? It has to be stated, although we understand it, that that lighthouse, that light when a ship was out, even today, but especially back before they had satellites and sonar and all the things they have today, a lighthouse was so important because a lighthouse points the way in the, in the dark. It can save. In the middle of a storm, sailors are looking for that light. What is it that's going to save me? Is there land somewhere? And basically that light becomes the light of hope. Oh, surely we can get there. Maybe I can even swim there, but somehow I will be okay. So a lighthouse, in a sense, saves and you know its purpose is to expose the snares and shallows. And so as that light comes across, the sailors would be able to see if the land were, were, were safe or the water was safe or not, if the land was too close, if there, were, if there were reefs or whatever in the water. It's too bad that the Titanic didn't have a lighthouse close. 
And you also know that the purpose of a lighthouse is to warm up and renew people. I always remember that scene at the very beginning of It's a Wonderful Life and Jimmy Stewart is in the lighthouse warming up after he's jumped into the river. That idea of finding a place to be renewed, especially a lighthouse that often is in the middle of nowhere and there's no other structure around, there is no other way to get warm, but the lighthouse can provide that kind of place. Well, you obviously already know because it's a Sunday morning, you're in a church service, you probably already know where I'm headed with this, but Jesus is our lighthouse. Jesus is that lighthouse. He's the direction. He gives all of that. He saves and he warms, warns and he warms. Jesus is those things. This morning, I don't know why you're here. Some of you are here because your cars come here every Sunday. Some are watching online, and thank you for watching and being with us every week. Some of you, maybe you just came because, because you're here to visit someone. You're here to visit a relative, or you came because you're in town this weekend, or whatever it may be, or your parents made you to come, or whatever it might be. I want you to know that the hope that we have is in Jesus it's in following Jesus and following his word, which comes in the Bible, and following him and through prayer. And that's where we find our real hope. Boy, it's so difficult for us sometimes because we just want to do things our own way sometimes. There's an old preacher story, and I know it's a preacher story, but it's a good one. It's one about, about a ship that was going through a storm one night. It was so foggy, you could hardly see. And so, but they can see a light that's out there. And so the captain says to whoever his underling is at the time, the captain says, send a message that says, because the light was coming right at them, said, said uh, turn your, um, alter your course 10 degrees south. Well, a message came back just very shortly after that from the other light, and it said, alter your course 10 degrees north. Well, the captain did not appreciate that at all. And so the captain says, write back, I'm the captain, alter your degree, your, your direction 10 degrees north. And all at once he gets back, another, another message that says, I am, third class, I am third class shipman Jones, alter yours, your direction uh, 10 degrees south. And so he's so frustrated that finally he says, I am a battleship, alter your direction 10 degrees north. And he gets back a message that says, I am a lighthouse, alter your direction 10 degrees south. Well, that's an old story, but it sure makes a lot of sense. The lighthouse is not moving for anybody or anything. Jesus is our rock. Jesus is our foundation. Jesus is not moving. Jesus is who he said he was. And so we follow Jesus and we do what Jesus wants. And I want you to understand, all the way back in the Old Testament, they were already talking about this light and using this illustration as light, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so in the book of Isaiah, just as one example, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the Bible says, now this we'll, we'll find out later was, was a prophecy, but we didn't necessarily, the original readers didn't necessarily completely comprehend that at the time. But it was a prophecy. And 9-2 says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So what in the world would that light be that has dawned? What is it they're talking about? Well, then when we get to Mark chapter 4, verse 16, it says this. Now, it's really Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, but the way we spell Matthew here is M-A-R-K, okay? 
I made a mistake and put Mark in. It was supposed to be Matthew. But you will see this prophecy when it starts to talk about Jesus, what it says. And if you read all around Matthew chapter 4, you start seeing Jesus in the picture. It says, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, is light. the light has dawned. Oh. Now all at once when we start to see it in context, this passage from the Old Testament is being quoted now, that prophecy is being fulfilled, we'll see in a little bit through Jesus. Now you get over to the book of Luke, and you may know if if you're not, not familiar with the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the story of Jesus, inspired story, but tell that story of Jesus. And in Luke, when it's talking about John the Baptist, who is the forerunner to Jesus, that's talking about what's coming and what John will preach, and Luke 1, 78 and 79 says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness, and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. What is this light that's coming to, to shine us, to shine on our feet so that we can finally live in peace? What is that? And what is it that John would be preaching so finally we could be to that place of peace? Well, then the Bible talks about in Luke chapter 2 about Jesus himself in verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and, to, and the glory of your people Israel. Now, the world was divided into two groups of people, those who were Jews, Israelites, those from Israel, and everybody else that were called Gentiles. This light is coming to both Jews and Gentiles, prophesied all the way back hundreds of years before by Isaiah and by others, and now it will be finally realized in Jesus. And you say, well, how do you know all of that? Well, he is the light, but the reason I know he's the light is, one, he proclaims himself that in John 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Wow, he's saying he is the light, and then we will have the light. This is really powerful. Later on, he'll even call us light. But this is powerful stuff that he says, I am the light of the world. I'm the one that's going to give you direction. Now you've got to to read the book to know that. And you need to pray to understand that. And so all that's together. But he says, I am the light of the world. So some of you this morning may be saying, you may just kind of be here today. And you're saying, well, why does it matter? Why does all this matter that Jesus is the light? Big deal. Who cares? Well, because it's really significant because Jesus is our realized hope he is our realized hope now I when I say that word realized it is a hope we know there are a lot of things we hope for the way we use the word in English that we don't really know you know it's kind of a toss-up I hope the Astros win the World Series I got over saying that a few weeks ago but you know what I'm talking about right we don't know we hope but we don't know With Jesus, we know. Because the word, when it's used here, is not a maybe. It is a for sure, 100%, no doubt about it, When in biblical hope. He is our realized hope. 
He has come. He has lived amongst us. He was born of a virgin. He lived his life perfectly. He taught what was truth, and he said, I am the way that you can follow all of this. He says, I am the light of the world, that I follow that. So I figure most of, my, most of us this morning, most of us that are here that can hear my voice, whether you're here or watching online, that you're probably saying, okay, that's, that's why I'm here. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. But I am not so naive to think that just because you watch online or you come to a service and you're here in the audience today that you believe that. Some of us, maybe we've been coming for years, maybe even decades, and we're kind of wondering about it. Was Jesus, Jesus really who he said he was? Is he, really, is he really the Son of God? Incidentally, scholars and archaeologists today, they, they don't even question if Jesus was real, a real person. They all agree that he was a real person. There was a time 40 or 50 years ago, they acted like they didn't know for sure, but now they go, yeah, no, we know. He was a real person. The question is, is he really who he said he was? And now we're starting to live in a world, especially in the United States, other parts of the world have been like this forever, but we're starting to live in this what we'd call pluralistic world of where people say, hey, let's take a little bit of Christianity, a little bit of Jesus, and we'll put him with a little bit of Buddhism or a little bit of, of Shintoism or a little bit of some other religion, Islam, whatever it is, and we'll just take the best out of each one. Except you can't do that with Jesus. Because Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And, and I don't have to apologize for that because Jesus is the one who said it. I didn't say it. He said it about himself. So either I accept him fully or I don't accept him at all. Either what he says is all truth or it's no truth at all. But some folks say, but David, you know, Jesus was a very good moral teacher. and He wasn't inspired and Jesus wasn't the son of God, but he was a good moral teacher. No, he wasn't if he was a liar. If he were a liar, then he's not a good moral teacher because lying is immoral. And so there are lots of quotes of people who have tried to talk about this, but probably the one that is the most well-known quote of all is by C.S. Lewis, who sometime around World War II, who has been an atheist, became a, a, a Christian, said this about Jesus. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. He says either Jesus is the son of God, or he's lost his mind, or he's just flat the devil. He has to be one of those three things. And so obviously I believe from what I've studied and what I've seen and the way God has worked in my life that I have no doubt that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. And so as C.S. Lewis said, and incidentally he wrote so much of so many Christian books, and every, even though the books only have about 100 pages in them, 120, you have to read every page like three times to get everything in them. Plus, he wrote Chronicles of Narnia and other things you might have read. He said, either we take him or we trash him. It's one or the other. Interestingly, C.S. Lewis had trashed him and then took him when he realized who he was. 
So changing our illustration from being that light in that lighthouse, Jesus gives various illustrations to explain himself. And, and he came to give what others can't. He came to give what nobody else can. A, another religious leader can't give it. I can't give it. The elders can't give it. A, a world leader can't give it. But in John chapter 10, verses 9 through 11, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, I don't know if you can exactly see it on this screen. I hope you can. But you basically have a, a sheep pen there. And then where you see the opening, the gate, is a person. The person that was the gate was the shepherd. Not a physical gate. It was the shepherd who would literally lie down there. And the only way to get in or out was through him. And so what Jesus is saying about his kingdom and who he is, is, and who he is, is he's saying, I am the gate. And whoever enters through me will be saved. There's no other gate. There's one gate. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in, they'll go out, they'll have pasture. The thief, he comes to kill and destroy. But I've come to give people life and to give them life to the full. I am the good shepherd. So Jesus is talking about being exclusive here. Now let's go back to the light. This is just kind of a little chase a rabbit for a minute. Now we come back to the light. We have to obey the light. Now that might kind of sound funny. I mean, light's an inanimate object, right? Why in the world would you obey a light? What are you talking about obeying the light? Well, if you are in a, in a sailing vessel, sounds so much, so much more sophisticated than saying, if you are in a boat, if you are in a sailing vessel and you're out there in the middle of the night and you have no idea where you are and it's a cloudy night, there are no stars, no moon, no anything, you have to go toward the light that you see in order to get to land to be safe. You, in a sense, are obeying the light by going in the direction of the light, by following the course of the light. You have to obey that light. And so when Jesus says, I am the light, he's saying, if you want this eternal life, if you want to find the sheep pen where the saved are, you have to follow the light, which is me. And so an interesting an interesting interaction went on between Jesus and Thomas. In John 14, verse 5, the Bible says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Well, that is a really good point, right? If you don't know where someone's going, how are you ever going to find them? Unless you have, find my phone, and you know, maybe you can find them that way, right? How are you ever going to find them? That's an important thing. So Thomas says, I mean, this is a legitimate question, right? Lord, we don't know where you're going. But Jesus answers that in John 14, 6. And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And no one goes into the sheep pen except through me. And no one except through me. 
Now, I realize those words in some ways could be unpopular. Those words can be politically incorrect, but those are the words of Jesus himself. Jesus says, it's not just where I'm going. Understand, I'm the way. And understand that when you're going, I'm the truth. I'm everything that is right and good and moral. I am the truth. I'm not false. I'm not fake. I'm the truth. And if you want life, I'm life. And so we have to obey the light in order to have truth and life. That's how it comes, how we get there. But yet it seems like some folks are so committed to freedom that they are willing to be enslaved. Well, can you imagine a boat? Now we're back to boat. Can you imagine a boat that's out there in the middle of the sea whenever it's completely pitch black at night? And there is a light over here, but I don't want to use the light. I'm going to do it on my own. I know the light's there, but I think I can do it by myself and I can row to safety. I don't need that light over there. Well, that's ridiculous, right? And how many people live life like this? I don't want to be burdened down by the rules from the Bible. I don't want to be burdened by Jesus. I don't want to be burdened by all those things. I don't want that in my life. And so we say, so instead of finding Jesus, which is freedom, which freedom is in Christ, and so many worries go away because of the lifestyle that you're not living anymore and the lifestyle you are living in Jesus, all those other things go away. Instead, they choose to be enslaved because they want freedom so much. Their freedom, this freedom is actually slavery. It is slavery to sin. It is slavery to addiction. And I hope if you are dealing with some of those things, you'll think about the counseling center and ways they can help you and, and themselves or even send you maybe even somewhere else. But of all those things that enslave us, and take us away from Jesus. Well, remembering the lighthouse and going back to the lighthouse, there's one at the end of Cape Cod. I don't know, I'm not good in my geography of, of the Northeast. Some of you are from there, I, I'm sure. But Massachusetts kind of reminds me of a shoe. You have the part on the end one, and then you have this little curvy thing that makes it look like a, a jester shoe to me. Well, down there on the very end, on the little tip there, is a little town called Provincetown, Massachusetts, on Cape Cod. And then just a few miles from it is a place called the Long Point Light Station. And it's about a three and a half mile walk out to this light station. You have to walk over rocks that they've built up. And, and whenever the, 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 uh, the water comes up, the ocean comes up, then those, those rocks go away. So Barbara and I were walking partway out there, and I, I decided it was high tide. She said, I think it's low tide, it's going out, but I convinced her. I was turning around going the other way because I didn't want to get stuck out there. So we never actually got out to it, but I read a whole lot about it. And I read about, the, about Long Point Light Station. It was built in, in the 1800s. It cast a light every four seconds. So every four seconds, you see it. Then it goes away, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, 1,004, and it goes away. And then if it's really foggy out, then they turn on the fog horn, and for two seconds, every 15 seconds, the fog horn goes off. 
1,003. You can imagine this all the way up to 15. Well, that's often if you live next door, you know. But if you're in the water and you don't have a life jacket, that's forever. Even if you do have a life jacket, it feels like forever. Where's the light? Where's the foghorn? Where is it? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Why is time taking so long? Maybe the thing broke. Some of us are living between flashes of light. Some of us are living between blasts of the foghorn. And we're saying, come on, Lord, please, Lord, please, please, Lord. Oh, it hurts, and maybe you're faithful to God, but at the same time, you are in between, and you are waiting. But what I want you to know is God is faithful, that God loves you, that God's going to be with you, that God's going to protect us, that God's going to be with us, that God is always there. I've shared some of this story before, but back May 3rd, 1999, at that point was the worst tornado in the history of our planet hit south oklahoma city suburb Moore, oklahoma i still remember that night we were going into a meeting at a mexican restaurant about 10 miles from Moore, and i remember saying to barbara this may be the dumbest thing we've ever done because because of what the weather was like that night and during the event a man got up and said we need to cancel we need to all go home there's been a his word was catastrophic tornado hit South Oklahoma City. 20,000 houses were destroyed. I mean, that's, that's a tornado, okay? Well, there was a neighborhood there that Barbara and I had visited someone there not too long before, and I remember asking, I wonder, or saying one of us said, I wonder what those folks are like, you know, how their house is. Well, it was gone. I mean, it was matchsticks in that, in that neighborhood. Across the street from them, it was, a, it was like a four-lane street, and so it was probably 100 yards away, was a church building, big church building, probably a church of three, four, or 5,000 people maybe. And they didn't lose electricity. They had, they had two-befores go through their windows, but they didn't lose electricity. The windows were blown out. It looked terrible. But they had electricity, and they had a big cross on the building that was lighted. Now, I know this story because there was, a, there was a community funeral that was broadcast on television. Actually, Billy Graham was one of the speakers at this thing. It was huge. And so, as people came out of that neighborhood, and it was all dusty and dark at this point, and, and they are completely confused about where they are because, I mean, all the landmarks are gone and all the street signs are gone and the houses are gone, but no one died in that neighborhood. And they come out of it, and they're trying to figure out where they are. They're disoriented. And someone said, there's a light. Go to the light. Everybody, go to the light. Meet at the light. And then someone started saying, meet at the cross. Everybody, meet at the cross. Meet at the cross. Meet at the light. Meet at the cross. Back and forth. And so that little neighborhood huddled together under the light of a cross. Well, there's something very powerful there. That's where the community needs to be. Under the light 
following the light, obeying the light of the cross and of the empty tomb. So this is what I ask you this morning. Do I need direction? Even if you're in Christ, even if you've been baptized into Jesus, you may be seeking direction this morning. Do I need direction? Do I see the light? Do I see it? Some of us, it may just be so foggy, it's hard to tell. We may be between, between bursts of light, we may be whatever, but there is so much going on in our families, there's so much going on in our bodies, there's so much going on in the country that it just we just feel overwhelmed. It's Jesus we need. And he, in baptism, will wash away our sins and in its place give us the gift of the Holy Spirit, bring us into the pen, which is the kingdom, where he will protect us. You can have that. You can be baptized into Jesus. You can come forward here in just a moment. If you're watching online, just email, and we'll make sure that someone's there to baptize you. If it's prayers you need, you can write to us at elders at mcoc.org, and they'll pray for you. And if it's public, let them know, and they'll let everybody know, and we'll pray for you. You can come forward, and we'll pray for you. You can find us out in the hallway, in the foyer. People here are people of prayer. They're people that want to help. Because we are a congregation of people that have been helped and will continue to be helped. And so we help each other as we're in the way toward Jesus. Come as we stand and sing.